Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be answering the question, why are Catholic parishes failing? Yeah, we're going to look at why parishes are failing and closing and look at the reasons like demographics, changing models of worship, and so much more. And if the doors of the church are indeed closing, how can we open wide those doors and open them wide to Christ? Good to be back with you guys. Today, we're joined with Father Josh McCarty from the Diocese of Owensboro, and I'm really excited. Uh, This, I think, is a topic that a lot of people think about, especially over the last few years, Um, and I'm really excited to get this going. And I am pumped because he is an alumnus brother of mine from Ave Maria College. It's finally great to be together on this show. This has been a long time coming, and I can't wait to jump into this content. So we got a couple of gyrenes today talking about why people are jumping ship, how appropriate. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. No. You just made Mr. Monahan very happy right there. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Ave Maria. Much love. So we've all been driving around and seeing a closed Catholic church. We've all read stories about the bishop has to close this amount of parishes. These parishes are merging. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And there's very few things that are sadder to me than seeing a building where people were baptized, married, mm. commended on their death and have their funeral, lived and breathed, and then seeing it deconsecrated. And that parish now is gone to history. That's a terribly sad thing. I mean, it's almost, you know, I mean, there's very few things that are physical structures than an empty church that are more indicative of the decline of our society, our culture, but also of families that are forgotten and the poor forgotten souls in purgatory and all these things. And a lot of that's tied up in a closed parish. But we wanted to explore why our parish is closing. What are some of the things that's causing it and what can be done to reverse it? So that's why we have Father Josh on. And Father Josh, uh, he's a pastor as well. Father Rich is a pastor. And getting their perspective as these you know, as the shepherds of a parish, um, what works, what doesn't work, and how can we reverse this trend? So, Father Josh, we really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me. Well, I feel a little bit out of place to be among you guys, uh, sports aficionados and and the like. I'm I'm a hardcore nerd myself. And, um, so thank you for welcoming me into your company here. And if I seem awkward at some point, you'll understand why. And so, you know, you might have to have to bail me out if I get stuck on a word or something. Actually, 12 years of practice, I've got a little bit better about getting up. <laughs> That's right. None of As us can pronounce a word to save our lives. I mean, yeah, just- we're going to, we're going to, we're going to lean into you for that proper pronunciation. And, and, and father Josh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, brother, but for me, 
I've had to minister to a number of people from the Northeast, from the Midwest, where their parish is closed. And I don't think there's anything more wounding spiritually to someone that has such intimate ties to a parish community. And then when they see those doors close, when you when they see those parishes fail, it is so wounding. Have you had that pastoral experience? Well, it's kind of interesting in, in, in my neck of the woods in Western Kentucky, um, we're, we're, we're a little bit insulated from some of the larger city, coastal um, sorts of, of closings. We've had a few parishes to close. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about later some of the other societal implications, but it's like, you know, yeah, are we losing people? Definitely. Are the trends moving towards closing? Yes. And we've had to do some rearranging on minor levels, but we're, you know, we're... <laughs> Our, our areas made up a lot of, of farmers, people that work the land, people that are seemingly practical, practical and resilient and not especially neurotic. And it's, it's, it's really kind of a, a, a wonderful place. You know, we have comparative to the uh, statistics within the United States. I mean, we, we have, a, we have a, a high level of church attendance. In fact, at one point, the Diocese of Owensboro was rated as one of the highest attending uh, dioceses in the country. So long answer to your question, which is um, that we see it coming like a tidal wave, uh, but it hasn't hit here just yet. Mm-hmm. So Shield, I mean, we've got, we've got five leading ones, you know, jumping right into the content. What, what would uh, number one be, do you think? So I think what Father Josh touched on is a good way to jump into the first one, and that's demographics. And he said how in his more rural and, um, you know, agrarian area, it's not quite the same as maybe inner cities, coastal cities, where the demographics have changed and shifted so much. Uh, I remember one time the, uh, the Diocese of Cleveland closed, I don't know, about 10 years ago, about 13, 14, 15 churches, somewhere around there. It was big news, right? And one day I decided to get in my car and I drove past every one of those parishes that was closing because I wanted to see personally why this was happening. Went out, got a cup of coffee, drove around for like three hours. All The majority of these churches were in former ethnic areas. They were typically built 100 years ago. So when you had the big immigration boom at the turn of the century, you'd have your Italian parish, your Hungarian parish, your Irish parish, and they're all concentrated in the inner city. And there'd be a parish literally across the street from another Catholic parish. But over here, they speak Hungarian. Over here, it's Polish. With the melting pot that America is and the homogenization, for better or worse, that our society has went through, you don't see those kind of ethnic, national-oriented parishes anymore. A lot of those are the ones that have closed. Then also, and that's because so many people in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and continuing to this day, moved out of areas and moved to the suburbs. And a lot of those churches were no longer really serving the people who they were built for. And you had other populations move in who didn't have the same um demographic makeup of being Catholic and those and parishes invariably failed. Yeah. And they didn't have to choose between two churches across the street from each other. There was That's just, right. it was almost like a practical degradation, mm-hmm. uh, That's if right. you will. Sense. Yeah. A lot of the parishes that are, have closed are 
either no longer needed because of changing demographic reality of where people live, but also are kind of, in a sense, the result of an overbuilt, right? Everyone had to have their own church. Every ethnicity had to have their own church. Now, the other thing it really is, is parents are having less kids. When, you know, when you used to have five or six or seven kids, now you have maybe one, maybe two or none, no kids at all. So those parishes, they don't need to support the same amount of people anymore. So you have smaller families living further and further apart where they're living in the suburbs. They're not close to each other. They're not a community anymore. It loses a lot of the sense of why parishes were built and why parishes have been the way they were for hundreds of years. So the shifting demographics causing a massive impact. And a lot of the times you can understand why a church should be closed and why a bishop is making a good choice when they're taking valuable resources from something that really has become um, obsolete and moving it to a place where it's better needed. So I don't know. That's my experience of the demographic impact of parishes closing. What are your guys' thoughts? I think it's a phenomenal way to kind of really see where Father Josh is in respect to Western Kentucky. You're in a massive city in Cleveland, you know, a historic city. You've got Delacrosse with an experience of the Catholic Church in Texas on a ground level. And then me in Jacksonville, you know, which is a large, it's a large city, um, largest area-wide city. And we are building churches. I'm currently in the process of building a church and trying to figure out demographics, what is the trajectory of our growth, and trying to build a church accordingly. In fact, just prior to this meeting, I had a meeting with an architectural group out of Orlando to discuss exactly that. So, you know, there are churches that are closing. I think it's a demographic issue without a doubt. And I could see that even uh, Delacrosse grew up in Jacksonville in the Arlington area. And Arlington is experiencing that decline in attendance at mass, specifically at Christ the King, which was one of the largest, most engaging parishes, historically speaking, and held up on a national level for a stewardship model of a, of a church. But it's it, there's a structure within canon law that we cannot uh, forget. And that is the reality of the pastor and the parish has a responsibility to the geographical boundaries of that parish. And it includes, yes, the registered parishioners. You engage your registered parishioners, but the the parish, the pastor has responsibility over every soul that is within the parish boundaries. And when the engagement of a particular demographic of those who are registered is the exclusive interest of pastoral activity and the other demographic is not engaged that that is present in in a local community when that demographic moves away i think that's exactly what we're seeing when there is just such poor attendance in these churches that are undergoing that transition father josh what what are your comments on that how how have you you know how do you kind of view that in your situation one of the uh, one of the things that's so interesting to me is this concept of being registered in a parish um i'm not sure when its origins were from uh but it's it's really a curious sort of way of thinking about uh the parish uh life and activity and aim really and so, uh, uh, Father Rich, when you when you mentioned uh, you know registration, it's like okay, well you know what does that mean? Well, 
so what is registration? Well, it's, you know, you, you printed off of some forms and you gave it to somebody or, you know, maybe you're fancy. And so you did it, you know, online or some with a web form or something. And you're like, you know, somebody fills it out and they get it back. And it's like, boom, they're registered. And so it's like, all right. So, you know, we set this kind of threshold for, and it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, uh, canonically, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but is there value to being registered? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can keep track on some level. You can send out a mailing to them. Um, you can uh, set you up know, donation envelopes. Yeah, please give us lots of money because we're building a new church, you know. Uh, I would imagine it, that's where registration came from is as a way to order and make sure you know how many envelopes that you're sending out and how to, you know, really make some heads or tails of your finances, which is absolutely. pragmatic and practical. It's very practical. It's, but but the, the question is, what is it practical about? Right. Exactly. Right. There you go. Yeah. So it's like, all right, so we're tracking everybody and it's like, oh, well, you know, they're not registered. It's like, well, Okay, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that disqualify you from things? And it's like, you know, yeah. sometimes it's like, well, you know, you're running a school and you want to ensure that somebody's contributing. It's like, okay, so that could disqualify you. But really the aim of, of parish, parish, parishes being constituted by space, it's, it's like a tactical, here's what you're supposed to aim at. So... Um, it's, it's, it's this idea of the whole world is cut up into, it's, it's pretty interesting. The whole world is cut up into parishes so that the gospel can go to all the corners. That's so important. That's, that's pretty strategic, man. That's pretty strategic. It really, and if it we really aimed is. at that, if we aimed at that, my brother's like, man, would we actually get somewhere? But I have walked into so many parishes that have these norms that are written up in these like disciplines. You can't baptize your child unless you are here in this parish and you are registered for a you're year. You're not registered. You're dead to me. Not, you and your family exactly. are dead I to mean, me. That's tragic. And people are, and are turned away. I would think be turned St. Away. Paul cared if someone was registered to the church of... St. <laughs> Francis Xavier, like St. Francis Xavier saying. <laughs> it really is kind of a bureaucratic mess, the whole concept of registrations. And it's such a great point that you brought up, fathers, is that the parish is not the people who are registered to go to mass. It is everyone within a geographical boundary, just like a city has or a state has boundaries. That's what a parish right. has. And um, in the old days, you would have your rogation days where the parish would walk around the whole bounds and kind of very clearly stake out, this is our area. And every living soul, man, woman, Christian, or otherwise, was the charge of that priest. And we've lost that. You know, how often do you see the priest going out into the community and being at the restaurant or at the bar or being really a member of, well, there's the you know, it used to be, well, there's the, the mayor, the fire chief, the police chief, and the priest, and everyone knew it. Now, no, they've lost that communal sense. Ryan, Back what are you then, saying? I, I think this is a, I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate the, this uh, reality, right? Because, I mean, you look at, um, and we mentioned this earlier, we, we, the United States grew so fast and we built and we built. And like you mentioned, we might have overbuilt in some cases, but People, that was a time where people came to the church 
and the church received them and had to have some sort of acknowledgement of their presence and where they lived. And, and a lot of these records of registrations, as you priests know, if you've been to a parish that's old, were on paper. And so I think the dynamic of our church has changed. Like we mentioned too, there's some cultural dynamics and liturgical and some other things we'll get into. But I think you look at this as, you know, as the, I don't think they meant registering meant like you were registering for the parish. I think it became that as, as you fall back on your heels, that's sort of a, a means for you to stay there. And so we had this, we had this amazing, especially in the Northeast where a lot of these churches are closing. This dynamic hasn't really, this dynamic has affected them even more. These people were coming to the church that, oh, you know, this is Johnny, you know, here, here we are. We just moved to the parish, you know, get our name down. We want to know what's going on in the parish. We want to be able to give to you. That's gone. Right. And, and I don't know why we'll get into some of that later uh, with you guys, but as it changed, I think the church is always in renewal. It's like, Hey, what, what are we doing? Like what? And, and that's the question we're asking right now is like, how does the church renew herself mm-hmm. from this mm-hmm. into the current situation that we're in? But I think a lot of that came from the dynamic of the, the, the boom of the United States and the, the growth that happened. Um, I think uh, Pope Benedict the 16th spoke very well. And I believe it was the spirit of the liturgy where, or no, it was a, I think it was George. I didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound stupid, but in a book I read once, <laughs> in a book I read once, uh, the, 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 um, the church was, was a built, was a building church. That's what it was. It was building, literally building itself. And I think the soul of that church suffered in, in certain circumstances to where we're now kind of faced with that. And that's just my comment on the, dynamic and how it's changed. No, and I think the, the point that you made, Delacrosse, I think is just so valid. The church has had responsibility of documenting her sacramental registry, you know, and, and that is very important. When you go to the archives in St. Augustine, the oldest parish in the United States of America, you know, you get to see firsthand, and I've been so privileged to see these documents of native baptisms, of slave baptisms. And you could see the church alive and engaging the parishioners within those boundaries in a beautiful way. And you see that documentation. So I think principally speaking, the sacramental registry is very important to the church, but it is supplemental to the engagement levels where we see St. Paul's evangelization. We see St. Francis Xavier's evangelization. We see the greatest evangelization in the history of the world after the 1531 event in Our Lady of Guadalupe. And when you see that need, you know, that is what the church should be aiming at. The way that Father Josh expressed that the gospel should be proclaimed in every corner of the earth as a result of the great commission of Jesus, sending out the apostles to every nation, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have taught you. And behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. That great commission is just so important. And we could see it realized in the structures of how the church has canonically established these boundaries, but the engagement can sometimes be overwhelming. And I could say just personally being the only priest and pastor at a parish that's now 1,700 families, it's like I'm I'm overwhelmed 
with just the needs of my parishioners, my registered parishioners, and I thank God of ha- for having a relationship with Sheriff Hardwick, who calls me out of my parish boundaries to participate in local community, county-level efforts so that I do have engagement to a certain degree. But that's where I want to aim at is getting out to the nat- non-Catholic population and make sure that it's balanced. Yeah, but see, I mean, you, you caught yourself there. You said, I have enough work with my parishioners, you know? Yes, and there's all the people there, you know, it, and, it, and you it's touched hard. on it's incredibly hard. And you touched on it. And this goes into the next point is that, well, with the with the decline, I wouldn't even call it necessarily the decline, but with the growing imbalance between the amount of priests and the amount of people that need to be served, there's a decline or less vocations and more people. The divide between how many pre- people a priest has to administer to is getting really large, and our priests are overwhelmed. They can't keep up with it all. I mean, they're expected to be, the modern priest is expected to be a spiritual leader, a financial leader, someone who is an HR manager, someone who's dealing with marriage prep, someone who's dealing with sacramental prep, someone who's dealing with um, drug addiction issues, someone who's dealing with marriage uh, problems, someone who's able to deal in education for children. We are asking so much from our priests. How can you expect these men to be able to answer every call and to be all things to all people? I mean, I know St. Paul says become all things to all people, but I don't think he imagined that you were going to become an accountant and a school administrator and a marriage counselor. Like, I don't think that was what he was talking about. So <laughs> priests are very worker. overwhelmed. And a social worker. Priests are super overwhelmed. And an architect. And an architect and, and a construction manager and a fair and a fair manager and uh, you know <laughs> planning menus for this and that. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, guys, I, I don't want to say anything that you probably don't know, but you guys are looking pretty tired right now. You guys are working hard. This is going to take a cat nap. Uh, uh, you got everybody else a little bit of a little gray in the. Yeah, that's very true, man. There's a lot of grays. You know how they show like like when a president gets inaugurated and they show him eight years later and he looks like a catcher's mitt, right? Compared to day one. Like I want to see I want to see Father Richie on his on his um, on the day he was consecrated, and then eight years later, it's it's night and day, oh, right? Buddy, you don't age like regular. That, people. that is so true. <laughs> I've got to see if I could get this picture in front of your face right now because this is my favorite picture of all time really emphasizing what you're saying and it's a meme and i hope this is going to come up but it is oh it's a it's an image of leonardo dicaprio in the titanic looking all young the first year of priesthood and then the second one is the second year of priesthood and it's from the revenant leonardo dicaprio and the revenant and that's definitely the experience you know firsthand so how are you guys dealing wanna, with it? Well, I want to throw in by way of introduction to, to the topic on being overwhelmed that, yes, priests are overwhelmed in some ways, but it's not, it's not, the, we, we ought not, Father Rich, I'm sure you don't do this. We ought not think that we are overwhelmed in the way that parents are. Mm-hmm. Dad, 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 dad. Yeah, yeah, see, exactly, exactly. So, so just you know, let we'll, you know we'll hold we'll hold that in uh, in context here because uh, the married life is and and you know honestly you hear people say talk about priests are like man he's eighty but 
you know, he doesn't look that old or, or the, you know, the religious sisters is like, man, they age well. It's like, you know, we don't have the same types of uh, concerns and stresses. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's those 80 year old priests were, you know, they aged when they had like two parochial vicars and a nice war chest. Yeah. You guys are not going to age the same. Right. You guys are dealing and, with different six, circumstances. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, I would agree with Father Josh. Um, you know, there's there's definitely distinctions to be made and drawn between the busyness of, of family life and the busy busyness of parish life. And you could have, um, you know, different priests in different types of environments that are being called upon for ve- very many different reasons. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if I did not have the capacity and I felt, un- you know, um, that God was not preparing me for this capacity and to respond to the needs of, of the parish, you know, I would be the first one to tell the Bishop, like, Bishop, I, I don't think that I'm, I'm a good fit for this. Um, and maybe another type of pastoral initiative in the hospitals or in the prison or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so I'm, I'm locked in, I'm engaged. I am as happy as can be. I, I love my priesthood and I, and I, I definitely see, um, the way that expectations, can uh, lock me down in different respects where I want to be more free to be able to minister in different ways. Like I want to be able to provide more Bible studies. I want to be able to provide more digital content um, for the parish and for the, for the congregation that's gathering digitally. Um, Right now we're doing the 44 day consecration to St. Joseph that concludes on St. Joseph, the worker. And, you know, every day, which I have to do today, jump on uh, live YouTube feed, you know, and and we engage the the community that way. So I want to do more things like that. But I do find myself in meetings that I don't necessarily have to be in if it's properly structured. And I think when it comes to, you know, being overwhelmed with particular initiatives that don't necessarily have to include me, um, you know, that's, that's certainly an area that I could see as a detractor from, you know, one, the aim, what we're talking about, um, but two, how we can feel overwhelmed at times, because we are being pulled in many different directions. But I only want to be pulled in one singular direction. And that's to fulfill my office of the pastorate of, of the priesthood, as is indicated in canon law. And what I what I have to, you know, do in, in sacramentally caring for my parishioners. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think when it comes to this kind of second point, cause I'm presuming that this is the second reason why there's failure, uh, you know, failed dynamics in the church is because of a lack of engagement in, in many, in many different respects. Uh, yeah, that's right. Father Rich. And I think what you can look at is that priests are being asked to do things that really was never intended necessarily the priesthood. In 1950, an average person could run a business and send out clocks all around the world, and then they would put the serial number, write it down in a ledger, and they'd keep track of the inventory. But with the speed of the modern world and just international shipping, next day delivery, uh, everything's digitized, buy it online, this and that, the same kind of modern stress is being applied to the priesthood. You know, uh, Brick and mortar buildings are closing all the time. How many closed Best Buys or Kmarts do you see? Because people don't respond the same way anymore. It's not the same relationship that peoples have. And priests are being asked to do things they weren't properly trained to do. And also, 
the manpower isn't there. I mean, the church needs to make an investment in having specialists within these parishes to handle the, the calls of the modern world, whether it's through digital communications, whether it's through these types of outreach things that just cannot be done by one person, having good AV and audio, having someone to be able to produce that stuff, a social media manager. These are the things that are necessary, but we're still kind of running 1950 software in our parishes when we need to be in the 2020s. It's a, it's, we are running obsolete guiding and operating principles in parishes that just don't work anymore in light of the demands and the technology of the world. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the kind of lenses that I look at the, the issue through is just, you know, I told you I'm an, I'm a nerd. So it's just kind of like a nerdy sort of, but I look at it through, through the lens of, of information or data. So, so, it's like take a person, you know, there's there's lots going on with a person. Uh, you know, they've got their their anniversaries that they celebrate throughout the year. They've got uh, maybe a concern with, you know, a spouse that's dying. And as you as you start to stack up the information, I mean, like each person, you know, is complex. So it's like, well, you know, we're we're, we're you know, trying to be pastors. We're trying to be priests. We're trying to help the parish organization to to really be tuned in to those details and then you start start looking at the aggregation sorry that what uh so you start looking at the aggregation of, of all those details across like father rich you said you know with your uh uh hundreds upon hundreds of families and parishioners it's like well what are you going to do? Well, most of, most of what we do is we just dump it. It's like, man, that's too much. I got to dump it. And, and that makes sense. I mean, that's a survival tactic. You know, it's like, there's no way you can keep track of everybody's birthday. You know, for instance, there's no way you're going to remember that. Now um, I, I have some, I have some friends who are really smart and they, they, they can keep track of a lot of stuff in their brain, not everything but a lot of stuff in their brain. And I think, man, you know, I can, I could never do that. And so it's like my friend, Ryan Shield. That's exactly what I think all the time. It's like, how do you keep all that information in your brain? All the time? It's right. totally same experience. Just having a giant Slovenian head, man. It's just, it, this is, a, <laughs> it's just a square foot. It's a square footage game. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, you know, so it's at some point we have to start to ask ourselves the questions like, well, what are we going to do about that? You know, the, I heard once of a, of a hotel, it, it, you, you may have heard of it, that it's like, you know, when a guest comes in and the first thing that they do is ask for, a, you know, a Dr. Pepper, um, it's like they write that down. And then the next time that you show up, they have a Dr. Pepper for you on your bed. It's like, man, that's hospitality. You know, the awareness, the, the tracking, the, the care, for the the interests and the preferences and what's going on for that person it's like the use of the information the purpose of the information yeah exactly exactly and so you know with with information's proliferation now it's like what are you going to do with all that so mostly i just think we just dump it but the thing is that a lot of that data in the past used to be very valuable as the way that a person was really ingrained and ingratiated into uh into a um, the parish like oh you know mr williams i i've seen your parents at church where is 
you know, Jimmy and Johnny, I know you're here, but where's your brothers? Nowadays, I mean, look, with 1,700 or 2,000 families, you can't keep track of every person's name. Even if you do a heroic job, and I've seen Father Rich at his parish, I mean, he knows as many people... He knows as many people on a day-to-day basis as I've probably known in my entire life, and he remembers it, but it's a Herculean task. I mean, it's the Aegean stables. I mean, there's no way that he's going to be able to do it by himself. So, you know, having some technological advancements and having some real consideration of how a parish operates in the 21st century and addressing it and not pretending we're in 1950 anymore. Look, take the liturgy back to the 1950s, not the technology. There's, you know... Some things work, some things don't. And yeah. unless we do that pretty soon, we like I said, it's it's you're not going to be able to keep up. You're going to be Kmart in a world of Amazons, and it's going to get washed yeah. away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's now, such a that's such an important point. And but I got, I've got to share. You know, like Bishop Estevez when he asked me to continue studies in media and communications, and he sent me for an executive uh, production degree at St. John Paul the Great, I, you know, I heard from brother priests, like older guys, they're like, they criticized the bishop for doing that. And, and it was like, you know, this is a revolutionary act by Bishop Estevez to send me for this type of studies. As Wait, opposed and this to shows the, and this shows the result of that. I mean, those other priests <laughs> have been right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Turn your microphone um, on. Turn your but, microphone on. <laughs> but but when you when you look at that, it's like no. But look at what Archbishop Sheen did. You know, like look at we 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 need to invest in this platform. And how many times do we do we share? Like, look, criticize what we do. Do something better. Um, we need to have more people in the space. We need more investment on a structural level and how guys are are being formed because this is a need and we don't want to be a Kmart in an Amazon world. We need to bring the church into the digital space in that respective digital continent that's been identified. And, and we need to really put in a lot of pastoral energy at the bishop's level and then even at the local level. Now, we've yeah. talked about this on a lot of episodes, having digital dioceses. It really kind of makes sense in the modern world. Like there needs to be a pastoral plan that divides it up just like they used to in the days of Rand McNally naps or in the days where there was dirt roads. There needs to be a plan for the reality of the situation on the ground. And Father Rich, I mean, you've talked about that, you know, having digital dioceses. And that kind of moves into our next point is the relationship between parishes and dioceses. That a lot of it really is based on, you know, Swiss canons or the structure of the Holy Roman Empire or city-state structures in in the papal states. And it's not quite the reality of the way people live today. We don't live under Napoleonic law. There's different realities of how people move around and how information passes back and forth. You know, the the bond can never be broken between a priest and a bishop because that is, you know, that's that's something different. But I'm saying having this, well, there's the chancery downtown and the dean, and then, well, you send your money there and that. I mean, it's not exactly an optimal model for the 21st century. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Father Josh, please share, share oh. your thoughts. Your bishop's <laughs> listening. <laughs> your bishop's <laughs> listening. <laughs> might be, might be. Uh, Hi, Bishop. 
<laughs> Shout out to Bishop Medley. Amen. Um, <clears throat> uh, in my, I'm in my fifth assignment going into my sixth on June 8th this year. So I'll be moving two hours away. Um, in my third assignment, I was uh, doing marriage preparation with a, um, a young lady who lived in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is the location of the parish that I lived in. And um, her, her husband-to-be was working for Harmon uh, as an engineer in Japan. <clears throat> and um, so that was, that was my first uh, FaceTime marriage preparation. And it, it was a little bit comedic. I've got to tell you because we were we were on FaceTime together. So I was sitting here, and then the bride was sitting right beside me, and then the groom was three thousand miles away. It, it didn't look quite right, like <laughs> they to one another, but instead, it was really it was really weird. <laughs> but but uh, nonetheless, we we you know we moved through a time of preparation, but. I think the, you know, the reality is that uh, I think especially in couples, I, Father Rich, you know, hopefully you can comment on this, but I think especially uh, with marriage preparation as, as concerns some of the day-to-day -day operations of the sacramental life of the church, it's like the young people are displaying the increasing complexity because people are between dioceses and people are in transition and people are graduating and going to graduate school and he's here and she's there and they're in different dioceses and they're getting ready to move. And it's, it's just this kind of like constantly rotating um, um, dynamic. And they're sometimes more, sometimes loosely connected with different parishes. Sometimes it's the home parish that they want to go back to. And, and, and the, the reality is that it's a very delicate time for people, I think. And we are really teetering on uh, missing a huge opportunity by instead of bailing out on the complexity by really embracing it and being able to take care of it well and send them you know, into the sacrament, regard, regardless of whether they fit the traditional models of mm -hmm. preparation or not. Look, I... I, I, I was reading something. I think there's somewhere around 175,000 Catholic marriages performed in the United States in, in, in the last the last year without coronavirus, right? About, about 175,000 Catholic marriages. There's a lot more marriages than that. And go and try to get married at a Catholic parish. The number one reason people are not getting married in a Catholic church, probably not necessarily about their canonical status, but it's like, I got to go through like seven months of classes. I got to go do this and that. I got to jump through hoops. Look, man, I just want to get married to this girl, right? And you guys are giving me the full inquisition like you're Torquemada, man. I just want someone to say, you know, you're married. Kiss the bride. Now, there's there's something to be said for proper formation and having a, you know, the bands of marriage published and making sure that someone, you know, is canonically able to get married shouldn't take eight months, shouldn't take nine months. It shouldn't take 36 meetings. I mean, it's an, it's almost an unrealistic, unrealistic expectation of a couple when they're trying 
I'm sorry, this world tells them, well, you got to plan the wedding and this and this band and what kind of meat are you going to have and what's the dress? And they're like, I don't got time to talk to Father Pagano as charming as he is. I don't want to talk to him six times in the next two months. I don't want to do it. We're missing a huge opportunity there. Yeah. The other thing, too, is with people coming into the church, man. I've sponsored like four or five couples um, and 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 and. Thanks be to God, uh, Father Pagano was with me when this guy that we brought on a trip had a conversion. And he's like, I want to become Catholic. And so we went back to his house, yada, yada, yada. They joined. Well, he's traveling all the time, much like your friend in Japan. She's really serious about her faith. He's kind of, you know, uh, needs to be more serious. And so there was a need for formation. Don't get me wrong, please. And the, the challenge was that it was being met with, well, you got to come to RCIA classes. And he's like, well, all right, so I'm going to have to make, uh, so it's going to take me out six years to get into the church based on how this is all going to work. So they went to the, the, the pastor and the pastor accommodated them as much as he could. He's a parish of one of the largest parishes in the country. Okay. And so he was very gracious with his time, very accepting and all that. And but they got so frustrated that they went to go see him one day and she literally cried, literally cried and said, we just want to become Catholic. Have we not done enough? Have we not shown you that we're reading these books, that we're learning this stuff, that we understand the major tenets? Literally crying. You know what he says? All right, we'll be, put you we'll put you <laughs> next week or whatever, you know? I mean, like, should it, you, should you, it be... You know, and believe me, God is bigger than our absurdities and, and our corporate blunders. Trust me, we all know that. We've all experienced that. But the reality is, is it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Could you imagine Peter going up and staying with the family of Cornelius? And then he has the vision and the whole family wants to convert and be baptized. And Peter's like, absolutely, about five, yeah, six months. You know, we got to go through some classes first. No, Peter baptized them on the spot and said, boom, Catholic, see you in heaven, right? Yeah, and I, I just think I think it comes down to structures of evangelization and being able to utilize platforms that would assist in engagement and having lay effort in respect to counselors and other people that would be volunteering the effort to ensure that there is a proper engagement level. You know, right now, you know, for example, six months to eight months uh, of, of formation or preparation for marriage uh, in comparison to, you know, the nine years that it takes in preparation to become a, a priest. You know, there does need to be some type of preparation, but when it's like sporadic, when it's poor, when it's like, I feel like this is jumping through hoops, I really don't have engagement, even like the annulment process at times, is it aimed at healing? Because that's what it's intended to, to do. It's, it's aimed at like healing, you know, your heart and getting to know where the wounds are. And, and, but, you know, can, can we actually meet that need, you know? And so when it comes to, you know, how important getting the sacramental registry is, you know, I need, I need to know that you're baptized. I need to know that you're confirmed. I need to know that you receive uh, first Holy communion, that you're prepared for the sacrament of marriage. Do I need dispensations? Do we need all these types of things? Well, now, I mean, we have to, we have to get in contact with the church in the Philippines 
because you're from the Philippines. You were baptized there. Then you were, you had first Holy Communion in California. And then you were in the military. You bounced around. And it's, That's it's why the really church, the, hard. The church needs uh, to get all those records on like a blockchain technology. We so have they're to. Accessed. We have I mean, that, to. It and we can encrypt that. it and make it secure. I agree. Right. And then it's, it's verified like, hey, father of so-and-so in you know, so Boise easy. That would be so that easy. over in, you know, in the Philippines. And it's, it's there. I mean, the technology yes. exists now. Um, but, you know, you talked about having a structure of this formation. I think this is a great point to bring up, Father Josh, the, the work that you've done in automating that and using what you said, your nerdish nature, which I'm disputing. I just think you're, you know, technologically savvy, but you've developed a, a <laughs> I mean, I'll call you a nerd if you want. I don't want to, but. No, no, no. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> But you've developed a software. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because this talks exactly about, you know, baptismal prep and first communion prep and marriage prep, which is a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I um, when when I was when I was at uh, my my third assignment, I was working with I was working with uh, twelve couples in marriage preparation. Uh, Father Rich, how many how many couples do you how many are you working with? Probably would you, would you in the like low twenty, like probably 21, 22 couples okay, right that's, now. That's a lot. So, <clears throat> so I was kind of apprising the situation, just kind of looking at it, like stepping back and like, man, you know, it's like there's a lot of details here to keep track of, and there's things like, do I have, you know. Do I have their baptismal certificate to, you know, do I have the phone number for the florist, right? So like very varying levels of importance for, for the marriage, for the marriage itself, the sacrament. And so I was, I, I was, I was thinking to myself, I thought, you know, gosh, there's so many details. And like, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if if I know the name of the flower girl, but if I didn't get the dispensation for disparity of worship, it's like that's a bad detail to miss because <laughs> yes. that detail involves going back to the couple and saying, "You remember that little that pretty gathering that we had uh, days ago?" <laughs> it's like, yeah, that didn't that didn't quite go. Yeah. Off. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to tell mom and dad you're gonna have to drop another 40k. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I mean Mr. Smith and Mrs. Williams. Uh, so so this, you know, my my kind of neurotic personality was looking like this, like, all right, like let's look at my system for just a second to see, am I really on top of these details, especially the important details, you know, for these 12 couples. Cause it's like, Hey, this is, this is, a, a, an incredibly meaningful to the couple, meaningful and important day in their life and connection to the church. It's like, this could be a make it or break it moment. It's like, Oh, Oh, do we really have those moments? Yes, we do lest we forget. It's like, okay, 
we've got to we've got to capitalize on those moments, right? It's it's not that they don't exist. We have to capitalize on the ones that are there. So it's like, okay, so what's my system? It's like, well, I've got checklists, and um, I have um, sheets and, of paper everywhere, post-its, yeah. things yeah. flying out the window of your car, like yeah. <laughs> And, you know, in manila envelopes. Written on your hand, phone number. Yeah, so I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe in the year 2017, like maybe maybe this isn't the best system. And, you know, uh, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about what I've built, but we've we've discovered in working with parishes around the country that there are uh, basically two strategies for helping people be ready to be married. And the first strategy is checklists. And the second strategy is spreadsheets. And those that's like, that's top of the line, man. Checklists and spreadsheets. It's like, that's not a horrible way to deal with it. You know, I mean, it's father riches, you know, it's better than a post-it note, but, (laughs) but, uh, um, post-it note. And, and you could probably (laughs) have printed that out like a, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah, it, you know, so so it's real. So it's it's like, well, is that is that the best that we can do? So it got me on a little kick, and I was trying to figure out, like, all right, well, you know, there's all this there's all this stuff out there. You know, Salesforce is out there. Man, there's all these CRMs and CMS and you know, all these databases all over the place. I'm like, all right, it's time to break down. I'm gonna have to go and find the one for sacramental preparation. And uh, so, you know, I was looking around and I was looking around. How'd that like, go for you? There, there's nothing out there. This is zero. zero. This is zero. And there's parish database systems like PDS or Parasoft or things like that. But that doesn't that doesn't add the components of parish engagement and sacramental prep. And where are these vulnerable opportunities that we can meet somebody in marriage? Somebody is in need of a visitation to the sick or somebody's dying. And we're we're coursing this confirmation class through. Do we have all of their needs there? It's it's all over the place. And you, you really can't use a lot of these softwares that are tried and true within a diocesan structure. So you need something that's pastorally driven. And, and I think that's what the inspiration for Father Josh and his team and engagement around the country. This is a need everywhere and certainly a need of mine. And that's how Father Josh and I yeah. got connected initially with the, with the software. So what was the software that you built? Well, when I first built the first iteration of Pastoral Parish, I built it as a plugin for WordPress so I was like, I've, I've got to break down and figure this out. So I started, you know, working because, you know, when I was in middle school, I learned basic, just a computer programming language that was in my spare time. And then in high school, I took a college course on C++. And so I was like, all right, so I can figure this out. So I, you know, got some books and started reading and stuff. And I started to build the plugin in WordPress. And I was like, can't do it. Total failure. I was trying to get like one thing to show up on the screen. Nothing. Zero. Uh, it was a total failure. I so I just gave up for that time, and then later is coming back with these marriage preps, and so uh, I, I eventually got into a program called uh, uh, FileMaker, and I started building this, which is kind of like Microsoft Access, and and uh, so the the thing to me that was so urgent for the church is that people need pathways to know like what's the next step. 
um, uh, priests, parish staff, and parishioners. Like, what's the next step? If you know the next step, you know, there's research about people clicking on things. It's like, if you know what the button is, you will click because at least you know that you're making progress. But what happens is people go to a parish and they're like, uh, yeah, you want to get married? Okay, it's like you're going to need, here's the parish policy and uh, here's the diocesan policy and here are the uh, canonical requirements. And then, um, oh yeah, you're going to have to get insurance through the diocese. Like your tongue, like your tongue. (laughs) What am I, what am I, how how do I make sense out of that? You know, I, I, I go to church once a month and you're giving me 15 pamphlets. It's like, can somebody not straighten it out? So it's like, okay, here's here's your next step. And so I really I really took it up to be like, what's the next step? You you have to do these forty things, let's say, to be ready for marriage prep, putting information in, going on a retreat, you know, doing doing these things that are on our checklists and are on our post-it notes. But it's a discreet process. And, and, and now so, I've got to I've got to tell you personally yeah. using Pastoral Parish your software, you know it does exactly that. It cuts right to the chase, and it's like it's ease of use. My receptionist, my coordinator, um, you know the people that are receiving requests, they could throw them into this this need, and now I could see it. I could see where the progress is. I know where my family life coordinator is now in re- in respect to his confirmation prep. And the way that you've designed this thing, I mean, is just very attractive. And, you know, what would be your, your elevator pitch for, you know, this, this, uh, this software that you built? Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm a nerd. I'm a priest. And I want to help priests be the best. Give you some more time, help you engage people and help you accompany them through the sacraments. I was just thinking how beautiful it would be to attract vocations with an ease of use app, right? Because, you know, what do people think about when they're priests? I mean, you know, what we should be thinking about is this active ministry in a parish, right? This active ministry, being with people when they pass away, being with, you know, children and families and struggle, being, you know, this is what a young man who's faithful, who's considering a vocation would love to see, not the papers flying out of the car. And yeah. so it's just like, you here's know, a brochure. A, yeah, it's like, you know, get a brochure. Well, I want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody's selling anything anywhere where that's the thing, you yeah. know? So, I mean, again, God, it's God's church. It's not mine, but we all know that, you know, you get a platform like this, you free a priest up for ministry. Then, then you, then you're really priesting. You know what I mean? That's what you're doing. You're not managing a bunch of manila envelopes. You're priesting, you know, and that's that's what I think young men are going to want as the digital age becomes more and more prevalent, which I can't imagine it becoming more prevalent, but probably will be. But at the end of the day, how do we attract vocations? Right. It's it's through technology, you know. And Delacrosse, that's, you know, when we worked together, when I did the internship after my degree, you know, to conclude my degree, you know, that was one of the, you know, the business plans that we created was a discernment.life platform. And, you know, that is something that we need to dust off and, and continue working on because it is such a need in the church, but we need to, we need to bring up to speed in every respect, 
our parishes so that they are not failing back to like the content of the show that they're not failing in dynamics, that they're not closing their doors and that the doors are open wide to all people, Catholic, non-Catholic. I get so many people just to participate in my church because of the Catholic talk show, because of access to Catholic content. And, and it's a way of introduction. Other people that just come onto my, my feed at Nocatee Catholic or at Father Pagano on YouTube, on social media, just seeing the type of church that we are and the messages that, that are coming across, you know, That's they're, right. see, they're introduced to it. So the digital space is a wonderful calling card. It's a vocational card to be able to draw people where they dynamically are. Where are these demographics? They're all online. When you look at the way that police departments and the FBI and all of these different uh, initiatives of governing and, and enforcing law, they're going right to social media and, and getting materials to see what people are doing. You know, we need to be aggregating that same data on a universal level so that we can watch these, you know, see what's happening among human trends and being able to set up structures just like Father Josh's in Pastoral Parish and reaching all these other types of dynamics. That's why the digital continent and digital dioceses and pastoral initiatives have to be under the authority of the bishop and, and really exercised by priests just like Father Josh, who is self-coined as a nerd. What a gift that you have to be able to build such a platform to move the church in this direction. It's a shame that it wasn't done yet, but thank God that you've done it. And the other thing, too, going back to what we were talking about, how the church built, this is what the churches sh should be building now. And he's he's begun this process. And, and fortunately, yeah. with the digital space, and this is something that I talk about all the time, is that once you build something like that, you can go from zero to 100 with technology. So you can solve all the problems right mm -hmm. now with technology. You don't have to build a thousand churches and keep developing this and that you build a platform like he's got that takes care of everything in a parish, brings it all in as an infrastructure. It's like building one parish that can serve many right back in, in our old, uh, you know, analogies. So, I, I mean, so I, if you're, if you're sitting out there and, and, you know, you've got a parish that needs support digitally, you know, your pastor might need this type of support. Um, you know, get this in their hands, share pastoral parish. Shield's going to be able to put the links up on the, on the, uh, on the feet and, you know, check out pastoral parish, share it with your pastor, share it with your pastor's uh, staff, because it may be a big help to them. And just personal experience, my staff love using pastoral parish. The ease of use, the attractiveness of the program itself, it's enjoyable to see progress being made visually. It's satisfying to see progress being made in all of the sacramental prep and the pastoral care for people that are most vulnerable and in need of follow-up. It's all right there in a package that you definitely want to check out. So check out Pastoral Parish. So Father Josh, how is a way that people can you know, get to know pastoral. What's the web domain? How, how can people find out more information about pastoral parish? Yeah. So we've got, uh, our main website is uh, just pastoralparish.com. And um, I'm just grateful to my team. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on being a priest and, and the team is focused on running the organization and getting this into the hands of parishes throughout the, uh, throughout the country. And so the, 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 you know, 
my team would love to talk to pastors or people that work in parishes or, or parishioners, um, you know, to set up a demo and, and, and kind of do a run through and, and then get them going. Yeah, pastoral uh, parish I, will I, really help you. If you're a priest out there, it'll really help you make heads or tails of of managing your baptisms, your marriages. It's really going to be an invaluable tool. Go to pastoral parish to check it out. Um, you know, or if you know, you know, if you're listening to this, tell your priest about it. Tell them, say, look, I'm sure you're overwhelmed. Check out pastoral parish. Get a demo. Uh, call them up. It's you know designed by priests for priests. You know, understanding the real practicality of running a parish and, and ministering to people in a digital age. Um, now, but before we do go, Father Rich, we also have two other groups that we need to mention. Why don't you tell everyone about them? Absolutely. My pleasure. First and foremost, we would not be able to have this show without our patrons and our sponsors. So a big shout out to our patrons who financially support our show. Thank you so much. If you're considering being a financial supporter of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. And there you'll see every way that you could support us and our sponsors. Hallow is one of our sponsors, our longtime sponsor. They are so supportive. We've had a show with their founder and their creator, another great way to engage people in the digital space and draw them into the mystical prayer and the history of prayer in the universal church. We have such a rich history, but to have an application like Hallow that guides you through all of these different various prayer forms, Lexio Divina, you know, to really dive deep in the Bible with a year with Father Mike Schmitz and to see how many different people have been drawn into this number one app in the app store. Hallo is the number one Catholic app. There are many reasons why. And I know Ryan Delacrosse uses it every day. Yep. Yep. I use it with my kids too, with my wife. Um, it's just a, a really easy way to pray if you're struggling like myself, I struggle to pray with a lot of kids uh, and a lot of distraction. Um, guided meditation is probably one of the best ways to pray when you're struggling with prayer because somebody is guiding you into the depths of your heart. Uh, and, and, and in the depths of your heart, you find Christ himself there dwelling within you. Now, if you're sitting there jealous of the man of that is Ryan Shield because of his beard and his very woodsman-like look. This next sponsor is quite impressive, and it's one of our newer sponsors. Shield, share a little bit about our other sponsor. Sure. So, look, any man. <laughs> Can you speak with a little bit of a deeper voice, though? Like a... <laughs> At least I'm a, a 71. I was in the great north woods. And I saw felon among the timbers, a beautiful oak. <laughs> yes. Glistening in the sunlight, I saw inside that oak that if with the right craftsmanship, a little bit of tooling and some gumption, I could make something spectacular out of it. And that's what the Catholic woodworker does. So the Catholic <laughs> woodworker creates very fine, art, you know, artisan level and heirloom level rosaries, crucifixes, and home altars, right? They're taking these sacramentals that so often are just kind of poorly constructed to you buy them $2, they're made so overseas, they're really not the proper dignity that a crucifix should have. They're not the proper dignity that a rosary should have. They're made as a, you know, as a commodity. Well, the Catholic woodworker, and you can go check them out on catholicwoodworker.com, they create all their stuff by hand out of premium materials so hardwoods and premium like metals like brass you can go on the site and make your own combinations of 
you know, metal and wood, but heirloom, beautiful quality, rosaries, crucifixes, and home altars. If you don't have an altar in your home where you, you and your family can focus your worship inside the home when you're not at the church, you, you got to get one. A home altar really is, is a great thing to have in your home. And they have, they're one of the very best makers of home altars. So go to catholicwoodworker.com, check it out. And um, I, I mean, you can't get a better thing made. Um, so if you're going to, you know, buy a rosary from a store that comes in a plastic bag and it's $2, spend a little bit more money. It's not a lot more, but it gives it the proper dignity and something that's it's worth the investment. So catholicwoodworker.com. All right. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys listening to our show, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Father Josh, for joining us today. Thanks. It's my pleasure. God bless you all. God bless you, too. Yeah.